Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing Direct Suggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With Direct Suggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. Direct Suggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs 50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with Direct Suggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. Direct Suggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. This is another audio-only episode because I am, again, in the process of moving, and I promise you, you do not want to see what my background looks like. So um, thank you for your patience while we hopefully soon enough return to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, But for now, audio only, um, and hopefully that's okay. Just a reminder, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Go to my website, hrtracy.com, and subscribe to my newsletter so that we can stay connected on all things HR, all things podcast. Um, And there are so many amazing episodes coming up, but before I even touch on what to expect, because obviously you know what to expect, you know that they're going to be great episodes. I wanted to kind of like lay down the foundation for this week's episode. So I shared a few weeks ago that I'm doing this Q&A episode because there was a submission or you know, someone wrote into my anonymous submission form and is basically asked for some advice. So I'm going to start with their question, but it kind of triggered this idea of kind of getting, pulling the audience, so to speak, and getting some questions that all of you might have. So with that, I've gotten a ton of questions from social media. Of course, I have this question on the submission form and um, some others that have come through. So I'm going to start, like I said, with the anonymous submission form. There might be questions here that you've been wondering the answer to. There might be questions here that totally don't apply to you, but might apply to someone else. If I share any advice today that could help someone that you know who's, you know, maybe grappling with the same question, please feel free to share this episode with them. And if you like these types of episodes, let me know and we can do more. No problem. So the question that inspired this episode goes like this. Hi, Tracy. I need some advice. I've been working for a company for a year and a half in an HR admin role. At my previous employer, I was an HR admin. So the admin role to me was a step down. 
a step down, excuse me, but I was excited to work for this company and director and felt I had a lot of great things to learn from this person as a mentor. As much as I've succeeded and really elevated the position I'm in, I'm driven for more. My director knows this and has said things like, after you're here a year and after you get your SHRM certificate, which I've met both goals and still no promotion. We're a small team, so I take that into consideration, but many times I feel like I can be included, but I'm not. So basically the saying, this person is saying like where they feel they could be included, they're not because I'm in an an administrative role. I've had countless meetings about this and nothing has changed. Talks of succession planning and me moving up and running the department in the next four years has been brought up, but at this rate, I don't see that happening. It's starting to feel like gatekeeping the way I keep getting shut out and cornered into this small box. I don't feel like I'm valued or taken seriously. For reference, I have four years in HR. Should I start looking at other options? Longtime listener, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you being here. Secondly, I feel your frustration. Like this is, I, this is not something that's happened to me necessarily, but I can feel from what you've shared that you are frustrated that you've taken this opportunity that is different than what you've done before. HR admin going going to HR admin from being an HR manager and that you've done all of these things that they've asked you to do in order to get to the next level and still there hasn't been anything. What I would start with actually is documenting, if you haven't done so already, documenting every single thing that you've worked on, that you've completed, for example, the SHRM certificate, accomplishing or achieving this tenure that they asked of you. Write everything down, any project that you've worked on, any change you've made, get it all on paper. And I would ask for a formal meeting from the director to talk about your career growth. And it sounds like you've had some conversations and, you know, there's, there has been some discussion back and forth, but I wonder, maybe you have had this, but I wonder if you've had like a formal meeting where you're writing in the invite discussion around career and succession planning. Um, and from there, I would actually go ahead and share all of the information that you've documented in that document that I'm suggesting you create if you haven't done so already. And you ask specifically, not only for a timeline, but for what's next. And that these promises have been made, that you're really driven, that you came from an HR manager role, you can be doing more, and that you're underutilized. And from there, I think I what I would do is definitely share how you've been feeling as far as feeling shut out and cornered in the sense that you're not being included in certain conversations simply because of your title. Um, And maybe that's the first thing that can change. Maybe they can start bringing you in and you can start adding value in conversations and decisions that are being made. That said, your question is specifically around, should I look for something else? And my advice to you is yes. It doesn't sound like the expectations that were set for you when you started have been met from your employer. And it sounds like you've done everything, which is great. Um, Everything that you've been asked to do essentially, and you have an HR manager background. So this admin role, while in terms of title and scope is technically a step down, you took this role to specifically learn things from the company and this director who you saw as a potential mentor. 
So if that is not happening, then your need to stay in this role, which doesn't really necessarily utilize your skill set or develop your skill set for the growth that you want to have, I would definitely recommend looking somewhere else. And you know what? You could say that in this meeting that I'm suggesting that you have with your director. You can say, listen, I unless something changes on this team, I'm not going to be able to stay here. And I'm sure you can understand that because I have these goals. I join I came here to learn. I came here to because I see you or I saw you as a mentor and I'm just not seeing the growth and the trajectory that I thought I would be seeing by now. And I would imagine that it would go one of two ways. Either they would say, we really don't want to lose you. Let's figure this out. Or they would say, you know what? We don't have anything in the next year and I don't want to hold you back. How can I help? And that would be a great reaction if they can't, you know, build your career um, within this organization. And I would not take that personally if they do say the latter, if they say something like, you know what, there isn't anything here that I can offer you in the short term or even the medium term, and I don't want to hold you back. Don't take that personally because actually that's potentially um, a gift and something that they, you know, that could help you in the long run. So I would probably be fairly transparent about it, but maybe consider being that transparent when you've already started applying for other roles. So yeah, if I were you, I would definitely start looking at other options. But if there's a way to make this happen at your own company, at this current company, then let's see. Hopefully you can make it happen. I'd be interested to hear what comes of this after you listen to this episode. So let me know how everything goes, whether you submit again through the anonymous submission form or you um, write me an email uh, at podcast at hrtracy.com or contact at hrtracy.com, however you want to get in touch, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'd love to hear um, the outcome. Shifting gears a little bit, I got an interesting question on Instagram, a a few uh, questions here that I'm going to read through. How do I create a pay scale? So I'm assuming that this question and pay scale is referring to like benchmarking or even um, like a pay range for certain roles um, or certain levels of experience. This is something that you definitely, definitely will need to take partners on. My first recommendation is to make sure that you are partnering with finance to um, align on how you are leveling jobs, how you are um, evaluating benchmarking, because there are certain factors when it comes to benchmarking roles. Not only is location a factor, but so is the company valuation or the size of the company, number of employees, the revenue the industry, whether it's private or public. So there are a lot of things to consider there that finance would be able to help with um, and provide guidance on. The next partner that I would take is potentially looking into a company that helps with benchmarking. I've used PAVE and Option Impact, which are great companies for helping to create pay scales or pay ranges based on data from other companies. Um, And really in those in those tools, and I, I think they're free actually, or maybe one is free. I think PAVE is free. Maybe Option Impact might not be. Either way, they are taking all this data and you're able to kind of manipulate the information in the sense that you can look for different jobs, different um, departments, different locations, different valuations of the company. So it allows you to 
essentially look at jobs and their benchmarking ranges in different ways. And these tools help in the sense that they allow you to see percentile benchmarking as well. So some companies aim to be in the 50th percentile for their benchmarking. And this these tools allow you to see what the 50th percentile is for specific jobs. And then from there, what you can do, whether you use their benchmarking tool or you create your own, you can, let's say you create your own and maybe you're a smaller team, you could then use like Excel or Google Sheets to create ranges based on someone's experience, someone's um, location, and you know other information. And experience is really where like job leveling comes in because if an employee is you know maybe just starting out or they're you know being considered for an internal transfer, their job level is going to be lower than someone coming in with five years of experience. And so that's where the pay scale or the benchmarking can help you navigate um, experience and job levels as well. So definitely recommend you start there. It can be a fairly daunting process. Um, so maybe you kind of start out with your own role. Um, it's a it's a great way to kind of have an understanding because I would imagine, I would hope that you are within range, right? Especially since HR folks are dealing with this all the time, like probably are in range. I would imagine you are. Um, if you start with yourself, you can kind of see, okay, am I sitting in the 10th percentile, 20th percentile, 50th, 75th, 90th? And it helps you to understand like the exercise in creating a pay range so that the 10th percentile is hopefully the lowest part of your range in terms of the like a level one, you know, lowest job level, entry level to someone who is maybe a principal or a manager or a director being um, the highest level of the range. And so that should help to create the pay range. Certain jobs, of course, they might be like specific in their title, like they might not be a manager role. So then the job level or the experience level only needs to be from like entry level to senior or career. And that will help you create the range in that way. And then when you have like a director role or a manager role, you create the ranges in the same way, but with different job levels. So those tools like PAVE and Option Impact are really, really helpful for navigating this. Highly recommend. Moving on to a different question here, resume do's and don'ts. What should I leave off of my resume in 2023? So this is a great question. And I've seen some resumes that have really inspired me in my answer in this question. And first of all, you know, there are different approaches that you can take to resumes. There are resumes that can be super traditional and there are resumes that can be more creative. Either or works. It kind of, I would say it depends on the industry. But in terms of what you should leave off your resume, I would recommend that you leave a picture off of your resume. I would not recommend having any photo period, but especially of yourself, because it can in basically result in unconscious bias. Whether you're a woman, a person of color, someone who has a disability, it doesn't matter. Um, pictures, even though someone can look you up on LinkedIn, the reality is, is that when you submit your resume, they might not actually look at, look at your LinkedIn until you get to a certain stage in the process. So don't sell yourself short or cut your chances short just by making that one 
decision to put a picture on your resume. There are some people who are of different thought in this area, um, but I feel really strongly that having that is a no-no because why give someone another, just another reason to uh, have bias against you unconsciously or consciously. And by the way, I do offer resume services on top of other career services like interview prep and um, career coaching and things like that. So if you're ever interested in getting specific feedback or having me work on your resume specifically, you can hire me to do that. So head to my website if you want to learn more about that. But another tip that I would say in terms of leaving off your resume, take your address off your resume. You can just do city and state. I see addresses all the time. And I think it's just, it's not necessarily a pet peeve, but it's more so something that I would say is outdated. No one needs to know where you live. You also have no idea who's looking at your resume. So protect your own safety. And the reality is, is that like most jobs now, they're you can you're either commuting or you're working remotely and your address really doesn't matter. If a job requires like uh, an applicant to be in a certain city or state, that's really all that's relevant, city or state. Um, so take your take that off. Take your address off. And I would say my final tip for resume do's and don'ts or what you should leave off of your resume in 2023 is not necessarily advice, but something to think about. I recently read or watched a reel where someone said that they recommended taking the year of graduation from school or college, depending on you know what your level of education is, off of your resume because of potential ageism or age bias. This is not something I've ever recommended before except for candidates who are over a certain age or, you know, clients that I've worked with when, you know, for example, I've worked on uh, many resumes at this point in my career, but when a few people who hired me to work on their resumes were over the age of 40, I did recommend that they take their graduation year off so that there wasn't this like in the moment unconscious bias against their age, which is so strange, right? Because employers want experience for certain roles. And then there's this unconscious bias against people with experience. It's just so bizarre to me. So it's rather, it's not necessarily advice for me, but rather something to think about. If you are over the age of 40 um, or even, you know, maybe over the age of 50, it depends on kind of what you're comfortable with or what your experience is, then I would definitely encourage taking your graduation year off. Um, if you're under those age ranges, I don't think that you have to worry so much about this. However, I could see the opposite type of ageism or like the converse, which is if you just graduated college and you do have this amazing experience because you worked through college and someone is using your graduation year as a reason to say, oh, this person is not experienced. If you are finding that, in, whether it's in feedback from your interviews that, oh, you know, you recently graduated, how much experience do you have, then take it off. Um, but again, this is kind of dependent on the amount of working experience that you have. So my best advice at this point is if you are totally not sure what to do, just hire me to do your resume and I'm happy to guide you. Um, and this kind of goes into another question that I have here around like how many years back should a resume go? I'm sure we've all heard this recommendation that resumes should not be more than one page. 
There's a caveat here. I would say if you have over um, 15 or 20 years of experience, it's okay to have more than one page. You should not stress about that. Um, But I would say a resume should go back as far back as is relevant. If you are in maybe your fifth, five to 10 year range of experience and you still have like your um, internships or college experience uh, in terms of working experience specifically on there, you probably can start to take that off. I recommend to my clients when, you know, they should start removing information and it's usually about what's relevant. Like take, for example, my experience. I am a senior director and I have 10 years of experience in HR and in the working world. I'm not including internships that I did in college, even if they are relevant, because I have relevant work experience that supersedes or outweighs that internship experience. If you are making a pivot in your career or trying to transition industries, you will have to think about this differently. You might actually pull in uh, information or experience or data from 15, 20 years ago that could be relevant Um, even if it is quote unquote outdated because it shows experience that you've had that's relevant. So it all comes down to relevance. If you're applying for a job that is in retail or fashion and you have all of this experience from when you worked in fashion on top of all of this experience that you have from working in the cruise or I don't know, like warehouse industry or shipping industry, like that might not be relevant, right? Especially if you have other experience that is relevant. So it's a bit nuanced, but that would be my recommendation that you really think through what is relevant to the jobs that I'm interviewing for or applying to. So there are also some questions here that I received about like when an interview is going badly. And like, I'm sure we've all been there, um, you know, as far as having this, you know, an interview come or you're in an interview, you're having a conversation and it's either awkward or you can feel that it's not going great. You're not really connecting. So someone here said, can or should you ask for a second chance if the initial interview goes badly? Is it okay to stumble during an interview? And how do you rebound from that? So I'm going to start with the second half. Is it okay to stumble? Absolutely. You are human. We're bringing the human back, right? It is okay to be human and to stumble or trip up on your words or things or whatever. Totally okay. In terms of rebounding from maybe a stumble or, you know, not sharing as much information as you wanted to, you're human. You can just say, you know what? You asked this question before, and I realized I didn't actually include all of the information that I wanted to. Let me let me expand on this a bit just before I answer your next question. That's a totally reasonable rebound. Um, if you are stumbling or you're finding that, you know, maybe the conversation is awkward, it's a little bit, um, you know, messy or it doesn't feel so great, just take a second. It is totally okay to say, you know what, I'm realizing that I'm super nervous for this interview. And I just want to make sure that everything that I'm sharing with you is landing the way that I want it to. So I'm just going to take a few seconds to gather myself, gather my thoughts so that I can make sure that I'm concise and really answering your questions. That's also totally okay. If someone said that to me, I'd be like, wow, super self-aware. This person is clear about what they want to do, who they are. Let's give them a second, right? 
Um, I would also say that in terms of, you know, if you are having difficulty connecting with someone on an interview, um, that just maybe they're, maybe they're not the type of people that want to connect personally. Don't take that as a bad thing or as like a bad sign. Just kind of reflect and, and make sure that you're answering their questions fully, staying true to yourself, adding in your personality, because you can't control their personalities. Like if I can use myself as an example here, I'm very bubbly. I'm talkative. I like to, you know, I like to make people feel really comfortable. So in interviews, I feel I, I'm a very strong interviewer. So even if someone else is really dry, maybe boring, awkward, I don't let that change the personality that I have or the person that I am um, and who I, you know, what I want to showcase with an interviewer. So don't let someone else's awkwardness or lack of uh, emotion or animation or anything dissuade you for from being yourself. Just be yourself and it'll all work out. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. So the first part of this question is around, like, can or should you ask for a second chance if the in initial interview goes badly? Yes and no. I think it depends on why it went bad and, and why you feel it went bad. Is it that you didn't get a second interview or is it that you feel you're walking away from the interview and you feel like you totally could have done a better job? I do not think it hurts at all if you're walking away feeling like, man, I totally dropped the ball on that. I couldn't remember anything. I was sweating. I was stumbling. I didn't answer the questions. I meandered. You can say, you know what, to the recruiter, hey, um, I wanted to connect. And maybe this is even better over the phone or over Zoom. I wanted to connect because I walked away from that interview not feeling like I did such a great job um, portraying why I'm a good fit for this role. Is there any way that I can either speak with this person again or that I can meet with someone else? Um, I really want to make sure that I capture and portray the person that I am and the skill set that I have. I tend to get pretty nervous in interviews, and I'm hoping that this doesn't um, – delay or, um, what's the word, prevent the company from considering moving forward with me. I really want to show you what I can do. Um, it doesn't hurt, right? Like it never hurts to ask for anything, period, whether it's a second chance, more money, um, 
a question, doesn't matter. It doesn't it never hurts. It doesn't hurt to ask. So I would definitely encourage you to do so if that is something you're comfortable with. And you know, at the end of the day, like interviews are not only beneficial for the company, but they're they're supposed to be beneficial for you. So if you didn't get the information that you need out of a, an interview conversation, then you should definitely go back and ask those questions. And again, these are things that I'm happy to help you with. Like if, if someone out there is looking to do some interview prep, um, please reach out to me. I offer all of these services and I've worked with many, many clients and people on this, and I'd love to be able to help. So, um, there was another question that came through um, LinkedIn actually here, and it was, are companies doing enough to enable lateral transfers? How can they do better in this regard to the employee's perspective? Um, I will definitely answer this directly. I do not think that companies do enough to enable lateral transfers. It's one of the reasons why we see so many people leaving because of career growth, because they didn't have the opportunities that they were hoping to have. We even heard from this initial um, question from the listener who submitted a question through the anonymous submission form that this person is is was hoping for more opportunity because this was something that the the company had shared with them would be reality after achieving X, Y, and Z. And this person achieved X, Y, and Z and then still nothing, right? So I definitely feel confident in saying that companies are not doing enough to enable lateral transfers, career growth, promotions, whatever that might be. You know, transfers internally, I think sometimes companies make them harder than they need to be because we say that managers need to approve the transfer. They need to approve the growth. They need to approve this. They need to approve that. But at the end of the day, if someone is leaving and you, you're you not going to be approving that, right? Like they're going to, if they're going to leave because you're not giving them the career opportunities that they hoped for and have been working toward, your approval has no value and no weight in the discussion. And, you know, of course there has to be an approval process in the sense that if like there needs to be eligibility parameters, just like with any candidate externally, um, and there has to be a backfilling plan if someone is the right fit for an internal move. But I would just say that I I think that this is an area where companies really struggle because not only, and I've said this before on the podcast, not only do companies tend to spend too much time focused on people who are underperforming and not enough time focused on developing and training and coaching people who are performing, they companies also just have very bureaucratic processes sometimes. And when a, when a role opens and we say, okay, we're hiring for this role, there should be internal candidates at every job opening. And I would say that companies probably need to think about what their best practices look like. Just like companies should have, um, you know, goals to include people from various backgrounds in their interview process to make sure that they are um, interviewing diverse candidates. They should also include uh, a goal to include or have internal candidates or prospects involved in the process. So I would say that's probably a good way to improve um, how focused and enabling 
these internal moves are for individuals. Um, and then there was a second question here. How can they do better in this regard to the employee's perspective? I realize I kind of touched on this already, but I do think that companies just have to make it part of their process. Like, again, if you realize that your leadership team is not diverse, then that means that when you are hiring or promoting or interviewing candidates, you have to, and this is not necessarily just exclusive to the leadership team. Let's say that you notice your your team in general is not very diverse, whether it's gender-based, race-based, age-based, doesn't matter. Um, you have to, as, as a company, you have to commit to ensuring that the people you're interviewing represent the diversity that you want to have. And so this is where I would say the same goes for the internal movement that from the employee's perspective, companies will do a better job if they always make sure to include one or more internal candidates um, or individuals in the interview process. Um, not every job is going to have someone internally that would be interested or qualified for the role, but it doesn't mean that they can't interview for it. There are people who apply externally who are interviewing all the time and are not qualified for roles. So why should we prevent or stop or disable internal candidates from doing the same. So you just never know what someone is is capable of. Like who cares if it's a stretch opportunity? Give it to them. So I think that that is, you know, when a company commits to those best practices and taking those measures, that's where companies and employees will see much more improvement around the internal process. I'll say that when I worked at Target, they did an amazing job with this. Um, and actually, probably in all of my retail experience, there were amazing routines and best practices around this because, you know, retail is a really tough environment and, and it has high turnover. And when you're in retail, you're usually like in it for life. And so there is an emphasis placed on ensuring that people have these growth opportunities. Like I've worked with so many people in the past in my retail life where they started out as seasonal employees and then became store managers or district managers. Like those are amazing stories of growth, but that doesn't happen because of luck. That happens not only because of the skill and the talent that those people have and possess, but it also happens because those those brands or those companies are committed to growing their teams internally to improve the career objectives and the career um, goals, not only for the teams and the people involved, but also for their stores or for their, you know, locations that are relying on this knowledge that's that's generated year over year over year when you're working for a certain brand. And the same goes outside of retail. If companies can do a better job and can do things the way that retail does to really maximize and focus on career growth, growth, I don't think this question would have resulted in my answer of saying, no, companies are not doing enough. So that is my best advice. Um, I think there's one last question here actually about interviewing. What is a nice professional way to enter end an interview that is going badly? So I'm interpreting this question to be that the interviewee, the applicant, is not enjoying the interview and that it's just a bad interview, not even necessarily for themselves in terms of like how they're presenting themselves, but just what they're walking away with. I think just keep your answers short and sweet and end it as quickly as possible. Um, if 
and I've been in situations where I was interviewing and I just got terrible, terrible vibes from the interviewer or they just, I don't know, like things were, you know, something rubbed me the wrong way or something like that. I would just kind of try and be, you know, still be myself and interview fully, but ultimately try and, um, I would try to abbreviate my answers so that the interview could end a little bit more quickly. I wouldn't encourage you to end an interview if you feel you're interviewing badly, unless there's some something serious going on that is preventing you from, you know, interviewing. I would say just ride it out, do the best that you can, go back to my advice around how you rebound, try and bring it back. Because if you end an interview short because you feel you're not answering the questions well you're or you're not interviewing well, that could paint a worse picture for you than actually asking for a second chance or another interview to improve the, um, you know, the outcomes or like what you were presenting in the interview. So my best advice is to just ride it out. Interviews are not that long. They're usually like 30 to minutes to an hour. So just ride it out and do the best that you can. And just always, always, always be professional. Even if someone is not professional with you, don't give them a reason to say you're unprofessional. Just always do the right thing and you'll never have to worry about anything, really, if you always do the right thing. So with that, I hope that my answers and my advice helped you today. If you heard your question answered, I'm so glad. Um, if not, I know I, I had some questions here that I didn't answer. I would love to do another one of these episodes. So please let me know if this is an episode that you liked and would want to see more of. Maybe we do like one a month or one a quarter. I don't know. Totally flexible. Um, and for the person who asked for advice and, you know, asked if they should start looking at other options, let me know what you've decided and what you do. I, I want to hear for anyone who had a question answered here. If you want to give me some feedback or let me know how things have gone, please do let me know. And with that, again, you can head to my website at hrtracy.com if you need any help or support with your resume or interviewing. Uh, so many questions were on these topics, so I'd love to be able to support you in your career and your career journeys. And don't forget to follow me on the socials and we will connect soon, but be sure to subscribe so you see all of the episodes that are coming up because there are some amazing ones dropping in the next few weeks. So thank you all so much. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week and maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.